0: Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians. Again, we're going to be continuing and we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6, I believe. 5 and 6. As we continue, um, again, we will be pulling this set of scriptures from the King James. Um, I know we all have ESV, but once again, the King James does uh, a much better job of translating the scripture. And as I was talking to... Danielle about the different translations um, She said well, maybe you should explain the difference between the ESV and the King James and we will get to that But one note that I would like to make is that the King James much like the Reina Valera version of 1960 is a very very conservative version they went through painstaking efforts to make sure that nothing was left out And so as we go through that this morning, we're going to see in a couple of areas where the ESV kind of left out a few words, and I feel that those words are extremely critical to the overall understanding of the verse. So before we get too much further, let's pray, shall we? Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your mercy. And your ways, Lord, we thank you so much for this church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, it is my prayer that uh, we come before you and praise your name and give you the honor that you deserve. And Lord, it is also my prayer that we would be lifted up by your presence. That we would feel you today and know that you are here. And so, Lord, look, we desire your love. We desire to be with you and to walk with you. And Lord, how we... We thank you so much for your holiness, um, and uh, we strive to be holy, Lord. And we know that we fall short often, and uh, Lord, we look to you for the forgiveness of our sins, and uh, we look to you to heal the decay in the communities. Uh, We thank you so much for the peace and joy that we get to experience with you throughout the week. And uh, again, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you and your son, Jesus, and your mighty spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here is the scripture. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, if you read the ESV, you'll automatically see Quite a few differences. The first difference is that is that it goes through and the ESV doesn't put to Himself. So that is a major difference, and we'll get to that as point number one. That we have been adopted to the Father Himself. That is critical. That shows consecration, separation. The next thing we see is that our adoption is the according to the good pleasure of His will. The ESV doesn't say good. It just says to something along the purpose or something like that, right? According to the purpose of His will. This says according to the good pleasure of His will. Slightly different. And then the third thing that I want us to see here, actually there's four, So, to the praise of the glory of his grace. In the ESV, it says it slightly different. Um, It talks about, um, let me just pull it up. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace in the ESV, which is slightly different. This is to the praise of the glory of his grace. The next thing we see is wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The ESV says, which he has blessed us in the beloved. The ESV uses the word blessed. The King James, as well as the young literal and the uh, new American standard, used the word accepted. So there's something going on here that we need to see. There's doctrinal Um, teachings that are happening, that um, Paul is trying to teach the Ephesians. He's trying to teach the churches the purposes of God's adoption, why we are his children, before we learned that we were holy, that we were called into his family, so to speak, because he purposed us to be holy and blameless. Well, now he moves on and he's starting to talk about the fact that we are adopted. In our previous state, we, none of us here are Hebrew, so we're Gentiles. In our previous state, before we came to know the Lord, we were Gentiles. We were alienated in God. We were his enemies. We opposed the cross naturally by the things that we did. You may not feel that way, but It is true, Scripture, and we'll go through that a little bit. But just naturally, if you are not in Christ, then by default, you are out of Christ. You are against him. And so Paul is writing here about the adoption. And the adoption is first to himself. It's second to the pleasure of his goodwill. Next, it's to the glory of his grace. But all this comes together so that we can be accepted by God. See, today in many churches, what do they tell you? Oh, accept God. Accept God. Accept him into your heart and be saved. That's not scriptural. Scripture doesn't say those things. Scripture says believe in God and repent. Okay? Okay. What we are trying to do when we believe in God and repent is we are trying to be accepted by God, not by our works, but by our faith in God, a true faith in Jesus Christ. When we exhibit a true faith of trust and belief in Jesus, we are accepted into the beloved. And it kind of works like this if I was to come up with an example. Pretend I'm sitting in some Middle Eastern country. As I'm sitting there, I read about the benefits of being an American citizen. And I desire that. Well, if I'm sitting in the Middle East, how do I become an American citizen? Well, there are processes. We must do things to become a citizen, right? If we want those certain benefits, that's what we do. Well, it does no good to sit there in the Middle East and simply acknowledge them. If we just simply acknowledge that there exists existence of good things in America and that people desire those things, well, we as people must do the things to obtain them. Well, it's no different... As a Christian, God is saying, believe in Jesus and repent, right? He says these things in Scripture. So if we are going to do them, this, those commandments, when we obey them, make us accepted. Because we're trusting in God that when he says, do these things, you will be saved. So we do them. We change our lifestyles, we change the way we think, we change everything about us and bring it into line with Christianity and God's teachings so that we may be accepted in the beloved. Because you can be rejected, and we need to be aware of that. We come to church to learn about God, to become more holy as he has commanded us to be. But as I was thinking through the week, How many of you here think that you're not smart? Everyone here is smart. Everyone here has the ability to think and do things for themselves. Everyone here has talent. And as we go through that, I want to call upon your mental uh, power, if you will, And I want you to understand that when God tells you something, you guys have the ability to decipher whether that's good or bad. When God tells you something, knowing that it's from God, you would assume, being a Christian, that it's good, right? Absolutely. Everything from God is good. So we have this knowledge about us. And where does the knowledge come from? It comes from the book. So as we read the book, we're able to ascertain or determine whether something is corresponding and is congruent with Scripture or if it opposes Scripture. So in other words, if I was to start doing things that were contrary to Scripture, you as Christians should be like, hey, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. Well, I tell you this because... Whether you believe it or not, most of the churches today are disobeying Scripture. And it is our job as as the lighthouse, as the pastor, and as this church body to make sure that we obey Scripture and we do things to the letter of the word so that we don't distort it. Why is that important? Well, if we look again at this process of adoption, Adoption is a legal process. When you agree to adopt somebody into your family, you are legally bringing them into the family. And that document that um, certifies or acknowledges or approves of the adoption becomes a binding agreement. And binding agreements in Scripture are called covenants. And so, when you become adopted by God, you are literally making a covenant with Him. You're in agreement. He's making an agreement with you. He's calling you into this family. And when you're called into a family, you get everything that's due to that family. Well, in our case, as Christians, it's called an inheritance. We have an inheritance from God, He's our Father. And we know that we have certain benefits coming to us because we've been made children into his family. God is doing is he is literally and legally, contractually bringing us into his family, and that is a binding agreement. He is saying, you are my child, I am your father, and there is nothing under the sun that can separate and so when God makes an agreement with us, we should take it in the same brevity that God gave it to us. God is serious about who he calls as his children. And so we as children should receive this calling to be his children with some seriousness, with brevity, if that makes sense. So let's look at some scriptures. The first thing, and we've talked about this before, the first thing that we see is that we have been adopted to the Father himself. And in scripture we see several things, Psalm 4.4, 4, 1 Kings 8.53, and Nehemiah. These scriptures speak to the fact that we have been separated unto God. That God literally has separated us from the rest of humanity, and called us his children. Uh, It meant to be Psalm 4.3, I apologize. It says, but now, uh, excuse me, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That's the scripture. We know that God, before time, separated a group of people throughout humanity to be his people. And uh, the the first thing that we saw in the scripture was that it was predestinated. So this was something that was done before time and really without any regard for us. It was his choice and his choice alone. So we weren't a part of this process other than we get to experience it in the calling by God. So we see that we've been consecrated or separated unto God. And that separation is not only a physical separation, it's a spiritual one, And it means that, and First Kings really puts it uh, perfectly, it means that we're called to live differently. That we're not going to be like the rest of the world, but we're going to live according to the ways of the Lord. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt. O Lord God. So we've been separated from among all the peoples. And as I mentioned, we've been separated to live differently. You wouldn't expect Christians to do a lot of the things that are going on in the world. You expect Christians to be upright and righteous, to be to have integrity, to be honest, and to be morally upstanding people. When we hear of a pastor doing something illegal or wrong, we're shocked. Oftentimes we're not surprised, but we're shocked at the the atrocity, if you will. Because we know that pastors in particular. Christians should not be doing these things. And so when it comes to light and we read about it in the media, we're taken aback. We don't like it because it tarnishes the image of God. It tarnishes the church. It makes us look bad. But what happens to the world? The world looks at it and they see a Christian and they see this pastor doing something wrong. And they're like, see see the church. They want you to do this. They want you to be this way but they themselves are hypocrites. And so we have to be upstanding. We have to do the things that are called upon us and make us separated. Why are we different? Well, number one, we believe in Jesus. We acknowledge the Holy Trinity as Christians, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we know that through the cross, we've been saved by our faith in him. But this also means that we live differently, that we have integrity, right? That we're an upstanding people that we don't hate, that we live with peace with other people, right? That we don't lie and we don't steal and we fight against jealousy and adultery and coveting things of the world. So we live a certain way as Christians. And Nehemiah really talks about this. And Nehemiah, in particular, along with Ezra the priest, were really struggling with their brethren. They had just come back from the exile, and they realized as they were coming back that the Hebrews themselves did not obey God, that they were doing things that were not pleasing to God. And in the Old Testament, in particular, They were given the command not to marry people outside of Israel. Why? Because non-Israelites didn't obey God. They didn't value the Ten Commandments. They didn't worship Jehovah. They worshiped other gods. And as they did that, they disobeyed God through their idolatry. Well, these are the people that were outside of Israel. God was asking Israel to be holy, to live a certain way. And he says, don't be like the other people because they do things that aren't good for you. We had talked about this before, how the other nations would sacrifice children, how they would practice sexual immorality, how they would eat things that were not approved of by God. And so they did all these things to themselves And um, to their children, to their families, and in their lifestyles that were displeasing to God. And so God tells them not to be like that. And Nehemiah in chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, talks about this. And he says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, Their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have not acknowledged or excuse me, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers and enter into a curse and oath to walk in God's law. So what are they saying? Hey, we will walk in God's law. And if we don't, we acknowledge that we will be cursed, that we're going to be punished. So God has called his children to himself to live a certain way to be different from the rest of the peoples. The best way that I can explain this in in simple terms is worldly versus unworldly. People of the world, non-Christians, seek the pleasures of the world and they seek to trust in the system and values of the world. Those who are godly and unworldly Who are spiritual trust in God, they trust in God's economy, and they trust in God's ways to provide for them in their lives. That's the difference. One seeks after the world and its value system, the other seeks after God and his value system. So, as Christians, we want to seek after God. Why do we do these things? To the praise and glory of his grace. 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, as Christians, everything that we do should be to the glory of God, to his praise, to his credit, to bring attention to God and his goodness. As we sit here today, it's really easy to think of God as a harsh person. I don't want us to think of him that way. I want us to think of him as a loving father. Someone who is even more tender than us. Think of the most tender and kindest person that you know. God is more tender. God is more compassionate. God has more love to give. And so why? To the praise and glory of his grace. What is grace? When we talked about this before, grace is our second chance to make things right with God. It's our opportunity to repent. God has given us this grace period, this term, this contract of grace that says, look, I'm going to overlook your previous sins. Your sins are going to be forgiven throughout time. Everything that you did up until the cross will be forgiven and forgotten. And your sins after the cross will be forgiven. Only live holy. So God says that he will take our sin and separate it as far as the east is from the west. And that he will remember our sins no more. And that he will take us and our sins in our dirty state and make us white as snow. Why does he do this? To the glory, to the praise and glory of his grace. And we want to do everything as Christians to glorify God. We want to do everything in life to elevate God. Why do we want to do that? Because God is good. Think about your discussions with your friends. Don't you like to talk about things that are good and quote-unquote cool? Don't you like to talk about the things that are exciting on your heart? Well, as Christians, we should be really excited about what God is doing. God has done so much stuff for us, and he's allowed us to experience many things. Think of all the things in your life throughout the week that you you cherish and enjoy. God has allowed you to experience those things. And it's in his creation that he allows us as his children to be blessed, if you will, to have his joy and his peace. And all this comes from God to the praise and glory of his grace. He's given us a second chance. How many of you have ever been punished by your parents before? I know I have. So when you get punished, and let's say your dad says, oh, you're going to be punished for a week. Okay? And you're really bummed. You're like, oh. That means I can't play video games, or I can't go out and play, or I can't hang out with my friends, right? When we're kids, we like to do all these things that are entertaining. We like to play. Well, let's say that during our punishment, we were punished for seven days, but let's say say at day four, your father comes in and says, you know what? I've been looking at your behavior in the last four days. It really seems that you understand why I punished you. You've been behaving very well. And so we're going to end that punishment and we're going to cut it short. Aren't you excited? You're like, oh, I've freed up three days. I'm not going to be punished for those extra days. I've received grace and leniency. And so when we experience God's grace, we should be excited We've been given that second chance to do right. We've been blessed by God, and he says, Look, I understand that you have sinned, but I also understand that you have learned from your sin. This comes to the praise and glory of his grace, our second chance. And we know that when we've been adopted by God, as we all have been here We've been given this second chance of grace. And we as Christians not only should be excited about this grace, but should point other people to it as well so that they can share in the grace of God. In Exodus 34, 6, he talks about this a little bit. And it says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is grace right there. God is giving us a second chance. When it goes on to say, but will by no means clear the guilty. Well, if you've been given an opportunity to to be right with God and you decide to pass that up, you're guilty. And when we pass it up and we're guilty, God is saying, look, I'm not going to overlook this guilt. I sent my son to die on a cross for you. This is a precious gift. Do not trample on this gift. We, as people, oftentimes give gifts to people. We give people gifts for their birthday, for anniversaries, for Christmas, or graduation, or something like that, achievements. If you do something well, you can receive a medal. Well, God has given us a gift. And if we look back on our lives, how many times have you given a gift and somebody didn't appreciate it? And how did you feel? Maybe you worked all week to get some extra money to go buy that gift, or maybe you sacrificed in some way to to make this gift happen. Maybe it was a special day of events or or whatever the case may be. But regardless, maybe you went out of your way to provide this gift unto somebody. And then you gave it, and they just kind of like, oh, that's nice. You're crushed because your gift had meaning. It had purpose, and it was given through love. Much like Jesus was given to us by the Father's love. Well, when we reject that gift and we don't honor it, God is hurt. And we want to avoid hurting God. What we really want to do is we want to praise and glorify His grace. Which brings us to this point. Being accepted in the Beloved. Now, as we mentioned, we are not saved by works. We are saved by the grace of God. Nothing we can do can earn a salvation. But once salvation has been given to you, it is our obligation and responsibility and duty as Christians to honor that gift of salvation. If somebody buys you a new car, do you put it in the garage and leave it there for 50 years? No, you use it. You drive the car. Well, much like the gift of salvation, we use this gift that God has given us and his spirit, and we apply it to our lives. We use it. We make our lives better by obeying God. When we obey God, we become accepted in the beloved. What's the first thing that God says? Believe in Jesus, right? Well, we believe in Jesus. What's the next thing that he says? Well, repent. I want you to change. I want you to be separated from the people, and I want you to be different. I want you to be different. I want you to be trained in holiness in righteousness by the word of God. And when you obey God's word and you trust in God, you become different by his power. You become separate. Now, I know there's a few athletes in here. Okay. When you go to a sporting event and you're on the team, does everybody get to play? No. So if you go to a sporting event, let's say you're on a basketball team. How many people are on a basketball team? Five, right? There's five on each side. So there's 10 people on the court. Where's the rest of the people? They're on the bench watching, right? Well, as a Christian, you're the person on the basketball team. The rest of humanity is on the bench watching. God has called us into action. We are his team. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. And he's called us to go out and do the things of his word. To love on people, to share the word, to teach others about Jesus, and all the while teaching them to live right. As we do these things, we teach people to become accepted in the beloved. Well, when you're playing as a Christian, let's go back to that basketball example. Let's say you're on the team, and you're doing things, and your team wins, okay? Okay. And then at the end of the game, you see somebody and they were like, hey, I really love the way you played. How can I be on your team next year? And then you're like, well, we have tryouts at the beginning of the season. And if you want to be on the team, try out. And these are the things that you need to do to practice. Well, as Christians, we don't have a tryout Or something to be on the team. We're invited onto the team by God himself. He calls us. And then we're put into action. As we're put into action, people see the things that we do. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We've been accepted into the beloved. We're different. And as God looks at these things, he sees us. And he sees his children in action. As he sees his children in action, he blesses their work, and their work is glorified. As their work is glorified, God is glorified. As God is glorified, the rest of the world sees that, and they're drawn to it. And that's that's how it works. Well, getting back to that sports example, if there's a successful team in sports, people are naturally drawn to it. We have to look no further than the Yankees. The Yankees have a lot of world championships. Well, they happen to sell the most merchandise worldwide for a baseball team. People are drawn to that success. Well, as Christians, when we're blessed, people are drawn to that blessing. Because we've been accepted into this Beloved. Now, I want to touch on the Beloved. What is the Beloved? If we've been accepted into the Beloved, what is the Beloved? Well, the Beloved is this. The Beloved is the Holy Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. We've been accepted into that family. The Father, the Son, and we've been made brothers with Christ. We've been adopted into this family that's based on love. And all this happens by Jesus and his cross. When Jesus came, he lived on earth. He was obedient to the point of death onto a cross. Well, it is his work on the cross, his shedding of the blood on the cross, that moment on Friday, on Good Friday, when he died and gave himself up for us and became that sacrifice, it was through His blood that we were adopted into the Beloved. We can't make any mistakes about that because a lot of times people want to point you to the resurrection or they want to point you to something else. It's purely by the work on the cross that we are accepted into this Beloved. No other way. Jesus had to come and die for our sins, in order for us to make that transaction valid. The covenant that God has with us would not be valid if Jesus had not died on the cross. Scripture tells us that the payment for sin, the wages of sin, is death. And there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So Jesus had to come and die on the cross and give up his blood so that we could be adopted. That was the payment. Now today, do you adopt a child, there are associated fees with adopting a child. And I don't know if you've ever looked at adopting a child, but it's expensive. Very expensive. Very rarely do you just get to get a child and there's no fees involved. Usually there's applications. And if you happen to go through an agency and you're, you're trying to adopt a child from China or a place like that, oftentimes you can run 50000 or or $100,000 to adopt a child. It's expensive. Well, Jesus paid his life that we may be adopted. There was no greater feat. There was no sum of money that could be placed on the altar to have our sins forgiven. The only payment the father would accept is the death of his son. That is how bad sin is. And so when we've been called, we've been called by Jesus through his cross into this family through this process of adoption. And we can't overlook the fee. That God paid, which was his son, Jesus Christ. He paid that fee that we may be his sons. So now if we look at Colossians in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, not shifting and leaving the gospel that you had heard, See, God is telling us, look, you've been brought in, you've been reconciled, and everything is going to be good to go if you walk with God. If you walk with God. Remember what it takes to walk with God. Two people cannot walk together unless they are agreed. In other words, we must be in agreement with God, and God must be in agreement with our spirit through Jesus Christ. He must see the Lamb's blood on our heart and know that we've been accepted into the Beloved by Jesus Christ in this cross, that we've been accepted because we've been adopted. And we believe in this contract, this covenant that Jesus came forth and paid for with his blood. It's really important that we understand this because in Romans... In chapter 6 or 7, Paul talks about being grafted in to the tribe of Israel. So let me ask you this, because we don't ever think of ourselves this way. We think of ourselves as Christians. If Jesus is Hebrew, and the family is Hebrew, and we've been adopted into a Hebrew family, what does that make us? Hebrews. Hebrews. We don't ever think of ourselves that way because we are Christian. But we are being adopted into the tribe of Israel. Now, the problem that the Israelites had with that is they could not come to a belief that the Gentiles could come in and experience the same salvation, love, and blessings from the Father that was reserved for them. They got jealous. And as Christians, we have to guard our hearts against this jealousy. We have to know that the um, the salvation that we have for humanity is for all that have been called by God. We don't sit here and arm the church and go like this. We protect it, but we welcome people into the church that they may be adopted into the family. Here's the last thing that I want to touch on with regards to adoption, and then I'll end. But when somebody comes and lives in your house, do you drop everything and start living the way they did? Or do you teach them the way you do things in your house? Yeah, you teach them the way you do things in your house. Well, as Christians, as Gentiles, we've been adopted into this Hebrew family, and we must learn the rules of the family. What are those rules? They are called the Ten Commandments. They are called God's Word. And when we live by God's Word, we live by the rules of the family. And God is pleased. And we are accepted into this beloved. Ever have somebody come live in your house and they're tough to live with? They don't want to help, they don't want to cook, they leave things a mess. They say things that are disruptive and confrontational. And how does that feel in your house? Doesn't feel very good, does it? It becomes problematic. Don't be a problematic Christian and live in this beloved according to the rules of God's house. Amen? Let's pray. Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your love and your mercy. And Lord, I just thank you so much for your army of saints who encourage me every day to live by your joy. And Lord, I want to encourage them by your love and your grace to keep strong. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness. We thank you so much for your ways and calling us as your children to be adopted into your family. Lord, we ask that you would be patient with us as we learn the ways of your household, the ways of your kingdom. And we ask that you would teach us through your grace. And as we learn and are blessed, Lord, I pray that in turn we would turn around and thank you and glorify your name. Thank you for being our Father and loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name.